We were in one of those sections that was literally pitch black. You just had to feel around. Yeah, yeah. Full confidence, I walked straight into a black painted wall. Forehead, nose smack into the wall, and the guy who was supposed to jump out and scare us... Just started laughing. <laughs> burst into laughter. <laughs> totally broke character. That was a highlight for me because if you actually had jumped out and scared me, I probably would have shit my pants just then. <laughs> after, after walking into a if, literal If wall. he jumped out a half second sooner, you would have got scared and maybe ran, ran into the wall. wall. <laughs> everybody and welcome back to Gumption. I'm Lil, your host, and this is the podcast that inspires doers and dreamers to become the main characters of their own life. You guys are in for a super special treat because this week's episode is all about Halloween core. I myself am an avid lover of Halloween. Ever since I was a kid, I think it was always the most fascinating holiday to me because there seemed to be a level of danger and secrecy surrounding it, and that just made me even more intrigued to learn about its origins and how it's celebrated or not in different cultures, as well as the prolific library of films and books and legends and lore that have come out of this holiday or sort of been crafted for it. So understandably, it was hard for me to settle on topics when planning this episode. Like, how do I hone it in and only just pick a few? This week's guest is Eric Dombrowski, my older cousin and one of my best friends. And I thought, who more perfect to have on the podcast to talk about our family stories and traditions of celebrating the hallway? The hallway. <laughs> the holiday okay i gotta leave that one in there because that was like halloween and holiday combined into one word and we're celebrating the hallway but it is a tenet of gumption to celebrate the small things and really make that a ritual in your daily life so why not go back to where it all began our childhood where our family instilled this intrigue in halloween which we have now carried with us throughout our young adult lives here are some stories of what our family used to do to celebrate. I think maybe we just want to warm up and start with some family Halloween stories because- There's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack here. After all, I am obsessed with Halloween and I think that is primarily because of our family. It was imparted down to me, just like Julie's obsession with baseball. Well, she's also obsessed with Halloween. Yes. That's something yes. you two share. I love that so much. I, I'm always fascinated by spooky things, but when this season of the year rolls around, partly because of my birthday. Yeah, a lot of people with fall birthdays, oh, yes. their favorite holiday is Halloween. <laughs> oh, you want me to you want me to start? <laughs> Why don't you start with your favorite? My favorite Halloween memory. I'll give one that's specific to me. There was a year where I was like in second or third grade and I actually had strep throat. Oh my gosh. On Halloween, and I just started antibiotics, and I begged my mom to let me go trick-or-treating, <laughs> and she's like, okay, but I was wearing a mask, and she's like, just don't take off your, it was some like a horror spooky movie. Yeah. <laughs> mask, and she's like, just don't take off your mask, you know, don't cough any, on anyone. Um, don't share candy with anyone. Don't, yeah, don't share candy. 
But yeah, I literally was trick-or-treating while having strep throat and probably not the greatest idea. I feel like that era of our lives was full of strep throat. I had you strep me, throat. You and me had it a lot. I had it like 11 times in you the span your, of two years. You got tonsils out, right? Yeah. And my adenoids, yes. Yes, no tonsils, no adenoids for either of us. I know. I, I still don't really know what an adenoid is, but I know that it's like the tonsils of your nose. So what yeah. else do you really need to know? It's kind of... I've survived all these years without them, so I guess it's not that important. But it's just funny to think about that because especially those rubbery masks, there's so much condensation in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were probably having some kind of bacteria growing. Oh, I, I probably had like a, a low fever too. I just begged my mom for hours and she finally was like, okay. I like just that one. For our family, the Halloween parties were always, yes. always a good time. Some years, the trick-or-treating in the different cities would be different. So, yeah. like, like I think Aurora would always do on Halloween. Halloween. Streetsboro was always an off night. I think they knew that people would go to multiple cities, yeah. so they were smart to stagger it. But, yeah, there were literally years where we would trick-or-treat in one city, and then a day later would be in a different city trick-or-treating. I know. We were really hitting up all the, the stops for the candy. I remember that my neighbors growing up their whole front yard would be like a, a graveyard and they do all the really scary stuff or what seemed really scary back then and their dad would have a chainsaw and he would literally yeah. chase people around the neighborhood so people would be like don't go down by that cul-de-sac because you'll get chased <laughs> and he would you could be five and you'd be screaming crying he would chase you anyway so yeah there were definitely always a couple houses that you're like scared to go up and trick-or-treat at I just, what? I miss that feeling. I love trick-or-treating. I think I went trick-or-treating until I was in eighth grade. I probably went until Yeah, eighth, eighth grade was the last year I did it. Which I think most people around that age stop, but I just loved it. Our haunted garage. I wish I had more of a memory of it because I was so little that I don't really remember the experience of it. Yeah, see, you were probably what, four? I think I was four, yeah. Yeah, and I, I was five. I just have vivid memories of that. There's certain things when you're young like that and you, you get scared, it's yeah. kind of like it just ingrained. Yeah, that age, like five, six, is when you start having actual core memories. Before that, it's hard to distinguish, do I just know this from a picture or a story or do yeah. I actually remember it? But I remember that he had the fog machine in there. Yes. And and that he had built halfway through, there was a divider so that it was all dark. What was your memory of my dad's haunted garage? It was a haunted maze, the way it was set up. Yeah. I just remember. Don't look now, but our Italian was really showing because we proceeded to talk for about five minutes about the layout of this garage in utterly nonsensical phrases, pretty much just using hand motions to describe to each other who were sitting together how the layout was. So I will describe it for the benefit of our listeners. But my father was the king of DIY before DIY was even a thing. He often made his own Halloween costumes. Some notable examples being a man caught in the wind in which he reverse engineered an umbrella to stay flipped inside out at a 45 degree angle, including all of his clothes being at a 45 degree angle to look like he was caught in a windstorm. A fan favorite was Backwards Man. One year he wore all his clothes backwards, including his shoes, which was a feat of engineering. 
And he also printed out a life-size mask of his face to wear on the back of his head so that when he walked backwards, he was a complete vision of backwardness. That being said, you know where I get my extraness from, and you also could understand if this man is setting out to create a haunted maze inside of his garage, he is going to go all out. Now, like I was saying, I was pretty young. I was about four years old, and our brilliant parents saw an opportunity to combine four birthdays together and they took it and ran with it. They combined Julie's birthday, which is early in October, mine, which is early in November, Eric's, which is two months later, and Bella's because she was just born right before this. So while I think The Haunted Maze set out to be more of a kid-friendly endeavor, it definitely scared the bejesus out of all of us because there were body-like structures hanging from multiple parts of the ceiling, kind of picture like Dementors from Harry Potter, like ghostly ghoul dark figures but something you would encounter that was animated in a spirit halloween there were big hay bales and scarecrows and the fog machine and of course as was my dad's specialty he definitely pirated some of the ambiance and the sounds off of the internet and then made his own mixtape so that it would run in the specific order that it needed to to scare you the most as you go through the haunted garage. I would literally sell an arm and a leg to time travel back and travel through this haunted maze because the attention to detail I have no doubt was absolutely stunning. And speaking of attention to detail that brings us to our next family story which was my grandma Linda's tradition of dressing up as a witch every Halloween, but not just dressing as a boring old witch. According to my mom, this was a tradition that was started when she was a child where my grandmother, my great aunt, and my great grandmother would dress up as scary witches and terrify all the children. My mom recalls hiding under the cabinets in the kitchen one year because they freaked her out so much that she couldn't even look at their faces with the horrifying green and warty makeup that they did. My grandma had a beautiful Roman nose and she really knew how to amplify it with this witch makeup and prosthetics and it was genuinely so scary the way she would do this. I'm so glad you brought this up a couple minutes ago about my grandma dressing up as a witch. And, yes. And oh my god I, that was deep in my memory and I totally forgot about it but she would do the whole bit of like she would just yeah, we're like four, five, six years old, and all of the adults would just play along and be like, yeah, that's, you know, this is a witch we found, and we just let her in the party. <laughs> yeah. And all the kids would just be petrified. Yeah. And she would be in character the whole night, and you're like, yeah, who is this person? Yeah. It's so obvious looking back. That's another core Halloween memory. I think the fact that she was so deadpan and so in character is what freaked me out, because you would look at her and be like, oh yeah, that's Grandma Mima, and then you're like, wait... No, actually, I'm a little scared wait, now. Wait, actually, who is that? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I've never seen her act that way. I, I'm convinced that my grandma could have been a witch. She was very obsessed with the fantastical and all those movies and books and things. And she loved making art of fairies. And I just, I don't know. I feel like maybe she might have dabbled in witchcraft at some point in her life. Yeah, a good witch. Yes, like, uh, yes, like Glinda. Yes. And yes. her name's Linda, so. So, Yeah. <laughs> It's perfect. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll run. Yes. <laughs> One of my favorite photos from our childhood was taken on Halloween. And you probably won't even know it, but my mom and I refer to it as the Where's Eric photo because oh. it's at Ruthie's house. And it's a picture of all of us standing up against the wall. I think they were trying to get five of the cousins in a picture. Yeah. And 
we're all visibly annoyed. Julie's leaning on the wall and she's just like, I'm so done with this. Yes. I'm rolling my eyes. Bella and Nikki are looking off into outer space. And then in the next photo, you're in the photo and we're all smiling. <laughs> well, there's a lot of where's Eric photos throughout the years. Yes, that's true. Taking photos was my least favorite thing to do for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> we're all literally like, all right, let's, let's, <laughs> let's take this, this photo. Up. <laughs> like, they wrangled everybody up for the photo. Last little Halloween anecdote of our family. Probably my most traumatizing young memory, I, I have to say. Yes, I was traumatized for you. I was probably six or seven. We were having Halloween at my aunt's house, who used to live down the street from us. My dad had this whole elaborate plan to scare all the kids, and he had bought this big warty green mask. It was like a green goblin yeah. kind of deal. No, it literally, it it's was. like a troll goblin it, green. It had hair attached to it too. Like it oh, had yeah. like ratty ass <laughs> yes. wig hair attached to it. Um, and then it had the green hands. Yeah. And there were gloves that were the same material, which was perfect because you could just tuck it in the long sleeves and yeah. it had the crunchy nails and everything. He really did the whole nine. But anyway, he went on something else that year. So nobody really suspected that he was going to be scary we were playing hide and seek down in the basement i was hiding underneath one of those little toy kid tables yes, that they had down there because yes. our little cousins were one and two yeah so they were in the little playpen i remember they were down there with us because they wanted to play with us but we were kind of like this is older cousins only yeah, like meanwhile we're, <laughs> we're playing hide and seek, hide and seek. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're six years old this is uh <laughs> for the older cousins only guys sorry the lights went off and I was like, okay, Julie and Eric, whoever's seeking, you're making it really hard. And then it got really quiet. And I was just like, what is going on? I'm not sure what's happening. Well, my dad came down the stairs with this getup on, the mask and the gloves. And I later learned that he was trying to incorporate me into the scare. He was trying to have me help scare you guys. Yeah. Because he was reaching under the table to be like, Lily, come here. You help me scare Julie and Eric. But all I see... Meanwhile, we're like upstairs looking for you. Yeah. Yeah. All I see are the green hands with the gnarly nails reaching under this table in the pitch darkness. And his voice was kind of deep from the mask. Like it was kind of like this. It was, it was muffled, yeah. Yeah. So you couldn't hear it. And I, I thought it was the end of me. I started screaming bloody murder. I remember your dad came downstairs and I was crying and he was carrying me around because I was so traumatized. Yeah. I remember him walking upstairs with you. Yeah. yeah. That's got to be the worst feeling as like an adult or a kid <laughs> and then they start to cry and you're like, oh no. <laughs> I harbored a lot of bitter feelings toward my father after that incident <laughs> specifically. He actually scared me so much for some reason. The next year, I made a whole elaborate plan to get him back and to scare him. I'm sure he just went along with it. I'm sure he was not actually scared. <laughs> remember how Ruthie and Dave used to have that workout room in their basement? Yes, yes. I remember we tricked him into going down there, and I had this mask that had the little hand pump, and it had a boil on the face, and you could pump air into the boil yeah. so that it throbbed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't that scary. I mean, it was just kind of gross, honestly. And I was wearing it and jumped out, but I was probably, you know, seven or eight. So I'm what, three and a half feet tall. Well, how tall are you when you're that age? You're like four feet tall. I don't know. So he's like, oh my God, I'm so scared. It's like, I'm, I'm <laughs> well, four I wonder, feet tall. I wonder who it is. <laughs> 
Right, I, I'm nowhere to be found, like, obviously. <laughs> the best was probably me and Julia going up to your house. You gotta, you, you gotta come look at this. Come downstairs. We have to show you something. And he's like, yeah, oh, oh okay. It's like, what is it? You're like, no, you just have no, to you, see. You just have to see it. Come on. <laughs> Truly an iconic memory. I don't know if you remember this about me as a child, but I had a plan book, a little notebook that I used to write my evil plans evil in. Evil plans, yes. And it would be like, go down the stairs, put a whoopee cushion under dad's yep. foot, go up the stairs, watch. <laughs> <laughs> like, what I thought I was scheming, I wanted to be a villain and... It just wasn't in the cards for me. This is a good transition because something I really want to talk about is villains. Yes. I love villains. I feel like a big thing now is the anti-hero. Yes. The, the villain, but yes. you're rooting for them. Like... That's why villains are so interesting to me because they get a lot more backstory. I'm thinking of Cruella, Joker. They get their own moment to understand why they became evil. I don't think the protagonists always share that level of depth, but I wanted to talk about what you think makes a good villain. Now, let me just clarify here. I'm talking about characters. We don't need to get into morality of like, <laughs> who, is a, who is a villain in our world today? Because there's Quite a few of them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we don't need to delve into history here. Speaking from the zeitgeist, classic movie book characters that are well-known villains. Could be Disney villains, could be whatever. What do you think makes a good villain? Okay, my favorite Disney villain is Scar. Oh my god, well, and, me too. And not only does he have the best song in the movie, I think the best villains, they're intelligent. Yes. They scheme. They're one step ahead of the protagonist. Yes. I, I like Scar because Scar's plan worked, you know? Yeah. It's good to see a villain succeed to the point where the protagonist, it, it feels like a real threat. Yes. A real challenge to overcome. That's a really good way to put it. Murphy and I were just talking about this with Batman. Because I was saying some of Batman's villains aren't really villains. Like Penguin... <laughs> he's kind of just the mob boss he's just there i mean i know he does bad things but he doesn't feel like he's the main threat at any point and maybe that's just me being illiterate in the batman cinematic universe but i don't think batman's ever that concerned it's more just like the general evil of gotham that penguin represents but no need to get on the dc tan tangent here <laughs> i i think your point of like they have to be smart enough to cause actual conflict is very important because otherwise it's like, what's the point? You could have an abstract concept to be a villain at that point, you know? Yeah, if I'm watching something or reading something and I don't get the sense of like, I don't know, I don't know how this is gonna end. I don't know if I was in the protagonist's shoes, how would I yeah. deal with this? Like, that's what I want to see, like a villain who makes you think. When you have a villain that makes you question the morals of the person who's supposed to be good because you almost sympathize with them more. I think that for me is the trademark. Shit, that's a good villain. When you actually find yourself being like, oh, I totally can see how they arrived at this mindset. Yeah. Even if their, their actions are questionable, it's that slippery slope of like, oh, would I feel the same way if I were in this situation? And that's why I agree that Scar is my favorite Disney villain. He's like evil <laughs> oh yeah yeah They're, his actions don't make me go 
you know what? I'm kind of on his side. No, no, like he's I definitely agree. evil, but I get what you're saying. There's definitely a handful of villains. When you were doing that description, I was thinking of the movie Seven. Yeah. Kevin Spacey, his actions in that movie are like extreme, but you can see in his worldview how he gets to these conclusions. Yeah. You brought up earlier the Joker movie. You know, yes. You can... It was infuriating to watch because you just want somebody to be kind to him and nobody is. I can see how you got pushed to this breaking point. A literary villain that I really like. Have you read Paradise Lost? We've talked about that. I've, I've read parts of Paradise Lost. I really like... The Devil. The Devil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the... Maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe that's, maybe that's don't flip like that quote. But. Satan. No, I really like the way Lucifer is portrayed in Paradise Lost because it is so well written. Him falling out of heaven and the agony that he's going through—it's crazy. But I just reread Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Yes. The creature in Frankenstein just constantly is quoting Satan. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so applicable. It's just very interesting. Murph, you want to come in for this bit? <laughs> well, what if we're, we have a split vote? Yeah, that's true. You got to break our votes. <laughs> Murph, are you coming in? Oh. Boo. The shark in Jaws. That's actually kind of awesome. <laughs> I don't feel like the shark is really a sentient... Well, actually, I haven't no, seen No, the, the shark does some smart stuff in that movie. I haven't the seen Jaws is, in a while, so I guess I can't The shark speak. is very intelligent. According to Google, the top 25 most well-known villains of all time, we've picked 10 that we thought were the most relevant here. And I'm just going to read off two of them. And Eric, you have to pick the one that is more evil. More evil. So that when we get to the end, it's the, the most, most evil, evil out of this <laughs> list. We'll start off with Darth Vader and Dr. Octopus. Ooh, this one's interesting because they both kind of have a redemption. Marvel and Star Wars kind of get carried away. There's just a lot of movies. There's a lot of story happening there. So maybe in their peak villain era, for Dr. Octopus, I guess it would be in Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Well, you could argue for Darth Vader, it'd be episode three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so I if guess you know, you know. I kind of love Anakin, so like it's hard. But out of those two, who's more evil? I would say Darth Vader. Okay. Next up, Darth Vader versus Killmonger from Black Panther. I'd stick with Darth Vader. It's kind of rooting for Killmonger. <laughs> I don't need to put in my two cents on every single one. Yes, yeah, I agree. No, like, Lily, shut up. Okay, Darth Vader is still at the top here. I'm gonna put him up against Hannibal Lecter. Good old Ooh, Hannibal the Cannibal. This is tough. I, okay, I'd go Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> no, actually, I do have to weigh in on this one. But Silence of the Lambs isn't his movie. He's no, it's not. He's not the villain in that movie. He's scary as shit. And also, it could be a real thing. There's a well, level to definitely. Darth Vader that... Like, well, yeah. It's, it's like, fantasy. Okay. And then... Yeah. Whew. Yeah, that, Hannibal freaks me out. Even this picture is kind of scary. Okay, so Hannibal Lecter has now dethroned Darth Vader. Next up, Hannibal versus Pennywise. Pennywise. And you haven't seen the It movies. I haven't. I have not, and, and my I... father is rolling in his grave, this Stephen King fan that he was, I, I need to watch Pennywise versus Lord Voldemort. Pennywise. <laughs> if we're going off book Pennywise, it's yeah. Pennywise, and it's, it's not really that close. No, Voldemort's interesting, because it's, yeah, he was a villain, and he's, he's evil, and he's bad, but apparently the strongest wizard of all time, Dumbledore, just kept sending this 12, 13, 14-year-old boy to go fight him every year. <laughs> Yeah. How, how much of a threat was he really? <laughs> right. It's either like 
do you believe that Harry Potter is the best wizard of all time or that Voldemort actually isn't really that big of a deal? You know, fair question. I mean, he keeps taking Alice's 12-year-old. It's <laughs> yeah. like... Pennywise versus Norman Bates. Just pure evil. This is kind of hard because Pennywise is the embodiment of just evil. I'm, I'm going to stick with Pennywise. Okay. Dang. This is really interesting. All right. Let's throw Pennywise up against Murphy's supposed best villain of all time, Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. Murphy, if you want to weigh in, now's your chance. Silence. Okay. Good um. word. <laughs> Good. <laughs> might agree with Murphy here because oh my god here he comes when we're weighing <laughs> when you weigh Pennywise is total fiction what we were talking about with Hannibal Lecter oh this person could maybe exist Anton yeah. Sugar could totally exist and he has no redeeming qualities he's literally just a looming evil threat the yeah. entire movie that just builds Murph do you have anything to add because mm -hmm. I might agree with you when morality isn't a factor, it's when someone's the scariest because one of the key characteristics of humanity is your morality. It drives you in everything you do. So when you take that out of a man and you're happy to leave a life up to chance, I think that's pretty scary. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about the reason that I brought this up, that video that you showed me? I could link it in the episode. Well, I'm happy to turn anyone on to Emp Lemon. Yes, great so, YouTube channel. Um, he has a certain video called Sympathy for the Villain. He talks about lots of different villains. A notable example is, what's his name from the Avatar? <laughs> from the Avatar? What's that guy? From uh, Avatar The Last Airbender? Yes. Zuko. Yeah. Zuko, who's used as a prime example of, you, you grow sympathy for him over the course of the show. He's initially the exclusive enemy of the Avatar. Aang. <laughs> no, the <laughs> And as the show goes on, you learn more and more of his backstory and you feel worse and worse for him. And he grows as a character through this. And by the end, you're sitting there happy for him. And you're rooting for him because he has a full development of his character. Exactly. He has a good arc. Anton Shiger, however, has no arc. He's just cold-blooded killer. He does nothing. I need to watch this movie. You do. It's such a good movie. I, I can't really believe you haven't seen it. I can't tell you how many men have said to me, <laughs> I can't believe you haven't seen this movie. I feel like I've seen a lot more movies than most people. There's no excuse at this point. Continue, Murphy. He's a flat line. He has no arc. His arc is he kills someone, then he kills another person. Then he kills another person, but in a fun way. Yeah, some of the villains, you sympathize with them, you understand their motivations, you understand how they got to the point they got to. Anton Chigurh, he's literally just, he's just the killer. Yeah. Like Murphy said, completely devoid of any moral thinking. It's not even like he takes pleasure really in the killing. He just does it. That's the scariest part. Well, thank you, Murphy, thank you. for- special, special appearance. <laughs> thank you for having me on, thank you for having me on. Yes. I'll expect my gift basket in the mail. Okay. <laughs> in the mail. We live together. Pennywise had a good run, but here we have Anton Chigurh at the top of our list. I'm going to put Anton Chigurh up against the Joker. Anton Chigurh stuff. Yeah, maybe he'll just win. I mean, especially with the new movies, you get the backstory. You can kind of reason to like, okay, I see why he does what he does. Although I will say, Heath Ledger's Joker is... <laughs> is very like he's an agent of, of chaos yes oh it's, it's not about the money it's about sending a message <laughs> <laughs> all right we're gonna put anton up against thanos this is a worthy opponent thanos he killed half of all life and everywhere <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> with the snap of his fingers. You're, again, with him, you can be like, okay, I kind of understand his motivation, and he explains it, but... Yeah, he talks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's like, he talks a lot. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm sticking with Anton Sugar. I mean, yeah, right. Purple Alien, yeah. Not not afraid of Thanos. Yeah, his uh, his chin looks like a potato chip, a Ruffles potato chip. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Here, my friends, we have reached a crossroads in the episode. I am going to share some spooky ghost stories that were submitted to me by friends and also one that I lived and experienced myself. And if you are a true scaredy cat, unlike me, who I would say is a half on half off scaredy cat, I can hang, but sometimes I need to excuse myself so that my photographic memory does not lock it in and give me nightmares. But if you really don't want to believe in the existence of evil spirits in this world, I would suggest skipping over this portion of the episode. First submission is from one of our first guests on the podcast, Miss Caitlin Crew, who was in episode number two and has been an OG Gumption supporter since the beginning. So my friend Caitlin here is a nurse and she works in a hospital in Denver and she swiped up on my story saying my hospital unit is haunted. And I was like, you're going to you're going to need to elaborate on that. So, this is what she told me. She said not too long ago they had a patient, an older man who was completely oriented. He wasn't really experiencing delusions or anything of the sort, despite the fact that the hospital can be pretty disorienting for people. Through the night, he kept expressing to the nurses that he was being visited by small children in his room. This hospital does not allow children to stay the night that are under the age of 18 without a parent, and at the time there weren't any children there. So his nurse asked him, you know, do you have any grandkids? And he said, nope. So they just kind of chalked it up to he's having some trouble sleeping, maybe some hallucinations, and hopefully it'll just correct itself. A couple days later, he calls his nurse again, like, hey, uh, these kids won't stop bothering me in the middle of the night asking me to play. This happens a few times, and finally one morning, it's shift change, and as it turns out, in this room where this man was staying, there are little kid handprints all over the window. Now, let me remind you, there were no children in this hospital, and the man himself could not get out of bed on his own accord. So make of the story what you will, says Caitlin, but she believes that there are some young little ghosties haunting their hospital unit. Your knowledge of movies is very extensive, and I wanted to have you on to talk about horror films because it's just that season. It's like the perfect time to dive deep into this topic. So I think a good way to start off, because there's a lot of ground we can cover here, yes. is what scares you personally the most the scariest movie i've ever seen is hereditary partially why i haven't watched it because everybody says it's so scary when i was younger i used to get really scared by like jump scares insidious and the conjuring scary and still scary but the thing about hereditary is it's just like a slow build movies that have a suspenseful build to an ending or a climax in the movie that you don't see coming yeah is 
definitely what will get me the most scared. There's a part like halfway through that you will find very scary because we both have a nut allergy and oh. there's a scene Does where somebody go into anaphylactic shock? Yes. Holy shit. Yes. And Dude, that's triggering. <laughs> I thought it was going to go a certain way and then the movie does a complete 180 and this is right in the middle of the movie and then things just start spiraling out of control. Is it realistic? Is it modern? What is it set? Yes, it's modern. I'm going to riff off of this because I definitely agree that movies set in current day, which, okay, obviously that already eliminates some of the classics. If you're rewatching something that was made in the 80s or even the 90s, it can seem a little dated. And I feel like for me, that takes out an element of, oh, it's so scary because it feels a little like, well... <laughs> it feels a little cheesy. I really like Poltergeist. Yes. But it's, there's parts of that movie where the things are flying around. It's yeah. like, okay. And I like that in a scary movie because I'm definitely more of a wimp. I can appreciate that the goal of a horror movie is to scare you shitless. And the ones I like are often the ones that don't scare me to that level because I can't handle it. <laughs> it just sounds stupid because that defeats the whole purpose. But for me, I'm really freaked out by paranormal stuff because I believe in ghosts. I totally believe that whatever you want to call it, spirits, souls, ghosts that are trapped in the earth realm and have not made it to wherever they're supposed to be going and truly can be evil and haunt people or just terrorize people. I believe in that. There's a certain level of, like Murphy was saying, what humans can do that can be really scary. People are capable of horrible things. Right. But when there is that little bit of a supernatural element, all bets are off. It could be like coming straight out of the gates of hell. So that for me is the scariest. That's why probably my favorite horror movie of all time is The Exorcist. Yeah. And it's not the scariest to me. It's a classic. It, yeah, it's one of the older movies that I think really, really holds up. It's like a perfect horror movie, especially if you're into demonic possession, like it's yeah. the pinnacle. I have a, a list on Letterboxd. It's private because it's kind of embarrassing. Horror movies that I've actually watched because a lot of the ones, if I was with a group of friends, I just covered my eyes the entire time. Yeah. So these ones I've actually watched, I have followed the plot. The Conjuring really stuck with me, as well as the sequel. Yes. And all the Insidious movies. Yes. Those ones, I'll give it to Insidious. They're a little bit predictable, but the imagery is pretty freaky. Oh, like, yeah. I think but Possession just really freaks me out. I remember the first time I ever watched The Conjuring. The, the problem with those movies for me is if you've seen them one time, I won't get scared by them. because It's it, jump they, scares, yes, really. They lose a lot where I feel like The Exorcist, Hereditary, I will watch those movies, enjoy them, yeah. and be scared There's <laughs> There's time. definitely more to unpack there. Insidious, I could recognize as I was watching it, even the first time, like the music is building. You know yeah. something is going to fucking jump out and you're, you're going to be scared. You know it's going to happen. Yeah, you get the slow build and then you get the shrieking, like... Yeah, the... <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> if we want to talk about the thriller, this is what I was asking Eric off the air. How do you di distinguish what is considered a true horror movie which often have elements of thrillers from like, oh, this is just a thriller. I don't really know where that line is. It's not like a line. It's like a Venn diagram. So That's a great you know way to I'm... think about it. There's thrillers that I would consider more horror. We, we talked about Alien. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then there's thrillers 
that aren't a true horror movie, but definitely scary. Like, Zodiac. That movie is so scary. The first time I watched it, I was alone at the house. (laughs) All the lights were off. (laughs) The scene at the end when uh, Jake Gyllenhaal goes into the guy's basement when he's showing him the poster. I... Oh my god. I I think I turned on every light in the house. I was so petrified. Yeah. That movie, Zodiac and Prisoners. Yes. Which one is Paul Dano in? Prisoners? Prisoners. Oh my god. His character in that is so fucking scary. Paul Dano. I'm convinced he might actually be evil in real life. Either that or he's the best actor of all time. A great Riddler. Have you seen... Yeah, we just watched that last night. Have you seen Black Swan? No. I am going to give you that recommendation because that's uh, one of my favorite movies. I think it's classified as a thriller. Wait, is that the ballet movie? Yes. Okay. But it's scary. Um, I didn't know it was scary. Oh my god. We were pretty young when that came out. 2010, yeah. Because it was about ballet. I think Julie was like interested in seeing it. And my mom went. She's like, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see what Julie I mean, Julie would have been like 11. <laughs> I'm actually going to read her review of this because it's popping up on my letterbox. She said, this was almost unbearable, but it definitely kept me on the edge. I went in expecting to love it, but it left me grossed out and underwhelmed. <laughs> Natalie Portman plays this ballerina who definitely has OCD. She yeah. is totally obsessed with becoming the principal dancer. So she has an obsession with being the best. Yes. She's a perfectionist to the point where she's harming herself. Okay, this is reminding me of a different movie, but yeah, we'll, we'll jump on it after you explain. Where it gets kind of weird is for the first, I would say, three quarters of the movie, you're like, okay, this is just someone who is obsessed, they're a perfectionist, and they need to be the best, and they have to eliminate all the competition. But nothing actually happens that's horrifying yet. It's definitely a slow burn. But then it gets to the point where her reality and what's going on in so her like brain... So, like, her delusions are... Are, like, are blurring together. Yeah. And you don't know if it's actually happening or if it's just in her brain. And then there's some people who die and there's some crazy hallucinations. It is actually really freaking gross at some points, which is funny that Julie mentioned that in her review. Because it's, like, hard to watch. By that description, I have to watch this. Because the two movies I thought of when you were describing it, we were talking about the perfectionist part. Have you seen Whiplash? Yes. And I'm thinking of J.K. Simmons' character in Whiplash. And then American Psycho. Yes. (laughs) It's kind of like that. And this is what the actual description says. A journey through the psyche of a young ballerina whose starring role as the duplicitous swan queen turns out to be a part for which she becomes frighteningly perfect. The context that dancers know, but most people don't know, is that in Swan Lake, the Swan Queen is evil, and she kills the white swan and becomes the black swan. So that's why it's interesting that they use ballet. Now that's point, right? Yes, that's a ballet. Did you, you dance point, right? I did. Okay. I did. And I learned some things from Swan Lake, but never... Never? Never the Swan Queen. Because... (laughs) All I remember is we had this ballet teacher come in from a ballet company and she was teaching us how to do the swan arms that the background swans do in Swan Lake. For three hours straight, while they're doing footwork and jumping around, they're doing full up and down back arms. And after 10 minutes, 
you're like, my shoulders are going to fall off. So it's really impressive that they do that the whole time. Lily just gave a beautiful demonstration <laughs> for anyone wondering. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really glad you guys didn't have to see that. But <laughs> it's a good arm workout if you're interested. The reason I bring up Black Swan is because I don't think that's one that a lot of like horror fans have necessarily seen. But it's definitely worth the watch. Creepy and off the beaten path. Have you seen The Devil All the Time? Yes. I'd yes. like to talk about that one. Because I really like that one. Didn't love it. Interesting. (laughs) I'm curious what you didn't like about it. I just remember not being a huge fan of Robert Pattinson's character. He's a bad guy, so like that's fine. But I think my biggest gripe with the movie is, if I'm remembering correctly, it's told in like four or five different points of view. I usually don't mind that. But at the end of the movie, just kind of feeling like it wasn't properly concluded i may be off base i I, wasn't wrapped up right i get what you're saying i will agree though that robert pattinson's character it's a little hard to watch there's one scene specifically this isn't really a spoiler of anything related to the plot but he sticks his hand into a pie that someone brought to the church and eats it and it's so weird it's just like why (laughs) and also his accent is really bad since he's british yeah and he's doing like an appellation like the west virginia yeah stiff ohio apparently and it's neighboring backwoods you know what i remember not minding tom holland's accent because he's british too i always forget that he's british because he plays so many american yes he does well I liked that movie. Ironically, the reason you didn't feel vindicated by the conclusion was why I liked it. There was just a lot going on, and it was very layered, which I found to be super interesting. Next creepy story is one of my own. So, in high school, my friend Meredith and I had a particular affinity towards visiting abandoned places. Tell me you're from the Midwest without telling me, because this just seemed to be an enhancement of the joke that they always say about Midwesterners that our favorite hobby is to drive around and go get McDonald's. It's kind of true, guys. Like, I hate to play into the stereotype, but it is kind of true. What I will say is we were far too adventurous for our age. Like, we were not really taking safety into consideration as a factor when finding these abandoned farmhouses and abandoned buildings near our hometown and just walking right into them, probably incriminating myself for trespassing as well. But a lot of these places, like you'd pull up and you know that no one is waiting for trespassers. Like it is abandoned, abandoned. So one time we went to this particular abandoned village we had heard of. And this is within Cuyahoga Valley National Park, which is in Northeast Ohio. It spans as low as Akron to as north as Cleveland. It's huge. It's called the Emerald Necklace for a reason. It kind of goes all the way around the city of Cleveland and down more south where we live. So we decided to investigate this little dead-end road within the park that's over by the visitor center and the railroad tracks. So it's not really a highly trafficked area. It's sort of by a ski resort that is very small and is on the side of the hill in the park. But other than that, there's nothing around there besides the woods. So to enter this area, you have to climb over the road closed sign and gate and then walk about half a mile down this road where 
then you'll start to see some abandoned houses on the side of the road. So our cute little selves start trotting on down this road and we start spelunking by the houses. We walk in the yards, we walk all the way up to the properties themselves, and one of them was actually open, so we even walked into it. Most of them were very dilapidated, the structure was pretty much falling apart, um, but it was a creepy day the first time we went there. I remember it was kind of rainy, it was like a little chilly, but it was in April, so it wasn't too cold, but it just had an eeriness of a feel to it the entire time. And as soon as we had crossed the threshold of where this road close sign was, I was getting spooked out, you guys. I was having the back, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Like I was literally tweaking because I just didn't feel right. I was like, something is wrong. Something is really bad here. I don't know what it is, but we need to be quick. Like, you know, we can explore, we can maybe take some pictures and then we're out of here. Um, but Meredith did drive, so I was I was kind of um, beholden to how long she wanted to explore and what we found. So this first time, we were just walking around. I was very uncomfortable, and at a certain point, we were standing within the one house, and all of a sudden, we hear a shrill, loud realistic it sounded like the baby was right there screaming crying baby okay we knew that there was not another human being in this place where we were and at that point we exchanged a glance of terror and ran back to the car ran all the way down the road back to the car after this we couldn't get enough we did go back there a few times just to see if it was an absolute fluke or if the place was really haunted And with some in-between research, we did learn that this town is called Helltown. um, And there are many, many myths about what possibly went on there. There is a conspiracy theory about the government dumping toxic waste there, which gave the people living there mutations. There is historical record confirming to be true that in the 70s, when Cuyahoga Valley National Park was set to expand, the people who were living in this particular development it wasn't even a development really it was like a street a couple streets nearby the church and a couple other central buildings to this community they were forcefully evicted from their homes and the reasons are unknown but it's suspected that it's because they wanted to expand the land on which the park was but there's also haunted theories There's theories that these people were killed, that many of them died due to hunger or being homeless, and that they still haunt the area and cause all these very terrifying things to happen. So if you happen to look up Helltown, Ohio, you might be able to learn a little bit more about this place that we stupidly did go back to several more times. After the last time, though, we did learn that uh, serial killers like to hang out there, so we decided (laughs) to never set foot back there again. And some spooky things even happened after the fact because we had taken many photos of these houses and throughout the, you know, months in between breaks when we had decided to go back there, some of them had been leveled, uh, things had been closed off or sort of disintegrated more, but... The photos would glitch inside our phones, they would be deleted, they would have weird like shapes in the background. It was just giving a place you should never go for fun, 
and we we really pushed the limits of that one but i will say thank god lord jesus nobody was hurt everyone was safe and now we both still have nightmares about that place and i wrote a long form poem about it in one of my poetry classes because it was low-key traumatic but also one of the most interesting and scary experiences i've ever had in my life question for you now what is the worst horror movie you've ever seen i have an answer so if you want me to go first i can yeah you start you ever do that thing maybe you're with a group of friends and you're like oh let's put on a scary movie and you're on netflix and you're just putting on random whatever movie think of one off the top of my head so I'll, i'll defer to you in that exact scenario was how i discovered this movie it's called hush came out in 2016 i don't think it ever was a major box office success in any way. Essentially, it is this young woman who's deaf and she, for some reason, lives alone in a house in the middle of the woods. There's a psycho killer that stalks her. He starts off in the surrounding area and then stalks her from outside the house and then throughout the movie he gets into the house and she's just like trying to escape him the whole time. Yeah. And it's so bad. So I think that is my least favorite well i can give you i have a couple hot takes okay we love a hot take a lot of people really like the babadook (laughs) i did not like that movie i didn't think it was that scary how can you be that scary with a name like the babadook well that was part of the reason why the the babadook character does this thing where he's like babadook dook dook (laughs) (laughs) we were just doing that it completely took us out of the movie I think all the Purge movies are pretty lame. That's so funny because I find those really scary. But I saw them at the drive-in that made the experience a little scary. It is a bit repetitive. After the initial Purge movie, really how can you top that idea and make it more scary? It's predictable. I don't really love the slasher genre. I like the original Friday the 13th, original Nightmare on Elm Street, original Halloween, but I think they have a lot of bad sequels. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like there's more no kidding there's more bad movies uh, that are sequels and good ones so. you have a point about slasher movies from a scary standpoint they don't scare me as much either and even though i am a little bit squeamish i can tolerate a slasher movie over a supernatural or paranormal situation he's just gonna like ee, ee. interestingly enough i recently watched a movie called freaky it came out in 2020 and it was a parody of Freaky Friday, but... <laughs> I, was, I almost made a Freaky Friday joke, and I was like, no. Nah, literally. That'd be, that would be too dumb. No. But actually, oh, okay. Kind of a cross genre of slasher and comedy, because the premise of the movie is that a serial killer, who's on a rampage of killing people in town, swaps bodies with a teenage girl who's in high school. Okay. He kills people in this mansion, and they have this ancient dagger there that is cursed in some way. It has an Aztec curse on it. The next victim is going to be this girl, but she fights back. And then somehow by stabbing her, their bodies get swapped. It's funny because Vince Vaughn plays the serial killer. See, you're describing this. This sounds like a really funny premise. It's a very funny premise. And I enjoyed watching it. It's well done. But Vince Vaughn playing when the girl is in his body is so funny because he's like, (laughs) Oh my god, ew. <laughs> it's like he plays a pretty good creepy serial killer. It was a weird little movie and I was stumbling upon it, but it gave me appreciation for the slasher genre. I wanted to give a moment for another funny spooky story submission. 
This one's not really a story, it's just a statement, but it made me cackle, so I thought I would share. One of our notable Gumption alumni, Miss Maeve Schumacher from episode 10, said, One time I tried dating in college. The horror. Honestly, yeah. I agree. Do you watch Black Mirror? Yes. Have you seen all the new season? No. I really enjoyed. There are a lot of good episodes. My favorite, you might have to check me on this, I think it's called... Lock Henry, L-O-C-H. That episode freaked me out for like a week straight. I was thinking about it. Dang. Well, that's the thing about Black Mirror. There's episodes from like the first season that I still think about. There's a couple episodes that are a slow thriller. There's a couple that are scary, like legit scary. There's a couple, Black Mirror always does, where it has morally ambiguous situation. Overall, I really enjoyed the new season of Black Mirror, and I would recommend it to anyone, anyone listening. That's a good recommendation. A Black Mirror episode that I still think about constantly is basically the concept of how you can block people on social media, but in this episode, you could do it in real life. They portray it as the silhouette of a person, but it's pixelated out. Oh, yeah. I know the episode you're talking about. Taking it to the extreme of technology or social media. Yeah. The, what if you could do that in real life? How it would affect people is the, just interesting. The other great social media episode is Nosedive. Yes. Everyone has a rating system based on their yep. interactions with other people. Oh my, God. my favorite Black Mirror episode is White Christmas. It's the yes. one with John Hamm. Yep. The snow globe one? Uh, yes, and he's yes. trapped in there. I never watched Bandersnatch, though. I want them to do it for me. I remember watching Bandersnatch the night it came out. And I was with some buddies, and we literally, like, the whole night, we wanted to see what would happen in every single... Could you reach scene. all the possibilities? Eventually we did, but that totally reminds me of... The Goosebumps books, but the ones that are the Choose Your Own Adventure Goosebumps books. Yes! I loved reading those when I was younger. Those were my favorite Goosebumps. My go-to Goosebumps books were the, the Pick Your Own Adventure ones. I love that you brought up Goosebumps because that was such a quintessential childhood Halloween thing. Well, I remember being so annoyed. You'll find this funny. I couldn't get AR points for the Choose Your Own Adventure books because they couldn't make... Oh, because they um, couldn't put a, a rating on it. Because it's like, well, if someone read the book, but they chose a different path, how do we quiz? You would have to read the entire book, but you can't do it unless you're yeah. crazy like me when I was a kid, where I would go through every yeah pick, every option. For those who don't know, AR stands for Advanced Reader yeah. or something. But it was this thing we did at our school, basically to incentivize us reading more you'd get an ar reading score based on your comprehension and then you had to read a certain amount of points every year and so if you were a really advanced reader it was a curse because you had to read 100 points or something you could be in like fourth or fifth grade and you'd test into an eighth or ninth grade reading level but then it's like you can't read the goosebumps books anymore right because they're five <laughs> points a piece yeah. you have to read ya books and then take the quiz and score a certain number or else you don't get any points. You can't just get a 7 out of 10. Yeah, you had to get 8, 9, or a 10 to get credit. There were times that I was really in a pinch with my AR points, and my parents were like, just get a bunch of short books and read them, and then just take all the tests, because some of you might just get a 6 out of 10 and then just scrap that one. Yeah. We'd be up late calculating how <laughs> I would get my AR points two days before I have to get them. 
And for our final ghost story of the episode, I was asked by one of my fellow Midwesterners, a Chicagoan, to share the story of the famous Chicago ghost, Resurrection Mary. Brad, I wanted to thank you for submitting this because I had never heard of her before, but after doing some research, I was quite interested in this story and I'm really excited to share it on the pod. So, Miss Mary, a well-known Chicago area ghost of the vanishing hitchhiker variety, which I am just learning is a genre of ghost that you can be. He apparently resides in Resurrection Cemetery in Justice, Illinois. And this is the really fascinating part. Since the 1930s, there have been over three dozen substantiated stories of people encountering Resurrection Mary, who basically stands on the side of the road like a hitchhiker and then is picked up by anyone who is willing to drive her. And as they drive past the cemetery, she disappears into the cemetery. Now, this has to be men picking her up because there is no way as a young woman driving around, even with a group of people, that I would pick up any hitchhiker off the side of the road. I suppose a young woman could be different because I'm like, oh, maybe she needs help. But even then, I wouldn't trust it. I guess people were just more trusting back in the, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, like... I don't know what the most recent sighting of her is, but she is said to have blonde hair, blue eyes, be in semi-formal dress. She's in like a party outfit with a little clutch purse, style queen, sleigh, and she's all decked out, but she's very quiet, according to these reports. She doesn't really, she's not really a talker. She kind of just hitches a ride and then poof, she's gone. Now I'm reflecting on my own life and I think I've totally seen a vanishing hitchhiker ghost because... When I was in the process of preparing for my confirmation in ninth grade, I remember I had to drive out to Kirtland, Ohio, which is really kind of in a rural area. And I was with my cousin Julie because it was late in the evening. She was my sponsor and we had to go to these preparation sessions with the bishop together. And it was kind of in that like dusk dawn hour where it was getting dark but not completely dark and we saw this woman on the side of the road who was dressed in what looked to be 1940s or 1950s semi-formal dress as well and she was holding an old-fashioned suitcase kind of looking forlorn just like staring off into the distance and this place in particular there wasn't really a berm on the side of the road like it's just a road and then the grass is right there and there were some trees so there wasn't really any room to stand i actually had to swerve around her but we saw her on the way to the church which is shortly off of the freeway exit and on the way back and it creeped us out because we were like uh i don't think that was a real person (laughs) it's like that lady in the airplane like that is not a real (laughs) you guys know what i'm talking about and now i can't help but wonder if that was a vanishing hitchhiker ghost and if I'm ever going to be able to unpicture that and the next time I see somebody standing on the side of the road that's wearing something that doesn't look current, I'm, I'm going to drive. I'm going to hit that pedal like SpongeBob taking driving lessons, man. I am going to speed the hell away from that. To sort of close out here, I want to do two things. One, we've been really reminiscing on all the nostalgic aspects of Halloween, which I love. And I could have done a whole episode about just that because I've been really trying to get in the Halloween spirit this year. Yeah, it's spooky season. You've seen 
our house. I literally have decorations it's everywhere. Beautifully decorated. Very, Thank you. very fitting. <laughs> Thank you. For the majority of my audience, we are 20-somethings living our young 20s lives. In your opinion, what is a way that we can tap back into the fun and the nostalgia of Halloween, but as adults? <laughs> your face just looked panicked when I Yeah, because I was not expecting this question. This is a great question, though. I, I just think, thought of it. <laughs> I think it just comes down to, in the very beginning, we were talking about, like, this is a core memory I have from this time of year or from Halloween itself. It could be, oh, I have a memory of carving pumpkins with my family. Yeah. Go out, go to a pumpkin patch, get a pumpkin, carve it. Yes. It will be a blast. You know, yes. something like that. But just find something that you have a really strong memory of and then just going out and doing it. I really like that. I do the same thing with all the senses. Like I've been drinking apple cider literally every single day this season. Pretty much its first appearance at the grocery store, I was like, I'm buying apple cider. But <laughs> I remember as a kid, I loved drinking apple cider. My mom would heat it up with the mulling spices. That's the taste of Halloween and the smells of candles. Not recreating a childhood memory, but adding to that tradition as yeah, an adult. And create a new memory with your friends or yes. your siblings. Just because you're older now, you can still make new memories. We're not washed up. We can still have crazy times or cozy little times. Yeah, if you want to sip on hot apple cider on a cool fall day with a blanket on the couch and watch college football. <laughs> yeah. That's, that sounds like a great Saturday to me, you know? I always like to leave a takeaway. Part of me maybe is just like, do people really want to listen to me talk about random shit for an hour? Probably not. But if I leave them with a takeaway, then it's like, oh, okay, I can go do this. And I like that. Something I ask all my guests, we have talked about recommendations a little bit, but your top Halloween recommendations, whether it's an experience, a movie, or a show or a book. What are Eric's top recommendations? Top recommendations. Gosh, this is open-ended too. Kind of in the opposite of my answer to the last question. Try something you've never done before. If you've never been to a haunted house, Ooh. go to a haunted house. If there's a movie that people are telling you to watch and you've never watched it, like No Country for Old Men, <laughs> yeah. put it on. But that's not a Halloween movie. Do something out of your comfort zone. People maybe shy away from some horror movies because they don't want to be scared, you know? If you try it and overcome your fear, you might find a new genre of movies you enjoy. And you know what? I On a deeper level, thinking about what scares you is a very interesting form of self-reflection. Oh, it will tell you a lot about yourself. What makes me tick? What actually scares me to my core? And why? Something we don't want to think about, but what I was saying about paranormal things, the reason they scare me so much is because I believe in hell and heaven. It's part of something that I am in tune to. I don't want spirits up in my house. Being out of your comfort zone is quintessential gumption. I knew that and I was trying to tie it in. Yes. Good. Well, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> well, thank you, Eric, for being on because I think this is just the perfect spooky season episode. So. Yes. I had a blast. Thank Yay. you. Thank you for having me on. There is something so special about sharing an appreciation for a specific activity or holiday with someone in your family. And I'm very thankful that my family is one that goes 
all over the top. They go all out for everything because it leaves us with these amazing memories of my dad's haunted maze in the garage and my grandma being the most terrifying witch I'd ever seen that made me question if I even really knew her. So that being said, go out this year and make a new tradition. Go pass out some candy, go take your kids trick-or-treating, do some kind of crazy costume, throw a party, make some Halloween desserts or cocktails or something fun, and just enjoy this opportunity to make life a little bit more spooky, a little more spicy and interesting. Be safe out there. Love you guys. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at gumptionpod. And all the links talked about in this episode will be found in the description as well as in our bio. Love you guys. Bye.